thank you so much for listening to another episode of CX Chronicles Podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Brady Chisana. Tune in each week as we listen to amazing customer-focused business leaders from across the world sharing their personal stories about their teams, tools, process, and feedback. Check us out at cxchronicles.com today or listen on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Hey guys, this is Adrian, host of CX Chronicles Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in each and every week, listening and learning to amazing customer-focused business leaders from across the world. I wanted to take a minute to give a quick shout out on some of the things that we're working on here at CXC. Number one, CX scorecards. Take a minute to check out the CX scorecard and see how your business and team is stacking up to others. Number two, CX Accelerators. We are spending time with incredible startups and scale-ups across the country, helping them optimize their CX and offering them a number of different CX managed services. Number three, CX Bootcamps. If you're looking for a way to become CXC certified and level up your game, ask us about our bootcamps. You get access to a live coach on a weekly basis, and we will build your game plan for building your customer-focused playbook for success. Check us out at cxchronicles.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Energy Ogre. Save money by letting us handle your electricity plan. Energy Ogre will find you the lowest electricity rate, enroll you in the plan, and even set up your auto pay so that you never have to waste another second thinking about whether you're paying too much for your energy. Check out energyogre.com today. And huge thanks to Justin for joining the CX Chronicles podcast. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the CX Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Brady Chisana. Super excited today. Uh, Mr. Justin Bradshaw, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thanks so much for letting me come speak to you for a while. Absolutely. No, we had a, we had a blast chatting the other, the other day, guys. Um, Justin's got a super cool story. He's the CEO of Energy Ogre um, in Houston, Texas. And he's here today to share um, his story about not just not just entrepreneurial, his entrepreneurial journey, but building his business, building his team. And he's going to get into the weeds, sharing a bunch of fun stuff around some of the processes and the feedback and the things that him and his team do at Energy Ogre every single day to grow the business. So Justin, why don't you uh, start off the show as we start off all these wonderful shows, my friend? Why don't you give the CX Nation um, your couple minute uh, journey around how you got to where you are today as the CEO of Energy Ogre. Sure. Well, you know, I think like a lot of things in life, this was uh, one of those things you couldn't have predicted. So um, super fortunate that I've had a lot of good bounces and been around a lot of amazing people in, you know, my professional career. And, but I started my career out in the mid nineties in the uh, energy market, specifically electricity as that whole industry was deregulating at the federal level. So it was definitely not a, it's a kind of a one-time thing and happened to be in the uh, right place at the right time. Had no idea yeah. <laughs> that this was gonna be, you know, uh, the course that would sort of set my trajectory for my professional career, but um so a lot of uh, the good news about that is, uh, as we were talking about previously, we've had a bunch of these industries deregulate over the years, you know, from airlines and telecommunications. And a lot of people may not know this, but the natural gas business did the same thing at the wholesale level. And so 
what you're doing basically is you're 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 rolling over these industries you're flipping the script from um the status quo and there's not a lot of times that that happens where you know the whole thing kind of turns over by regulatory fiat so you know as a result of that when you have these regulated businesses over long periods of time they they create some of these structures that are stodgy and maybe inefficient and it's a it's a neat place to to get in there and and start to do something so uh you know that it was literally the wild wild west when i first got involved with it which was fun and um and so I worked for this company and, and uh, we, we started trading electricity before, you know, as that started opening up and that was kind of a new thing, you know, people traded stocks and bonds and things like right. that and other yeah. kinds of commodities, but electricity is a little bit of a weird animal. It's a different one. <laughs> it is, it is. And then from there, we, we ended up uh, acquiring uh, folks that built power plants. So we started adding power plants into our portfolio and we ended up acquiring a utility. Uh, and so we had demand to serve. and so. It was really an awesome experience to kind of get in at the ground floor. The nice thing about the, the industry opening up the way it did was, you know, you're kind of a subject matter expert because no one knew more about it than you did. There's there's pockets of the way the electricity delivery business works that, you know, a lot of the new entrants didn't know that quite as well at the time. Sure. But the way all business was getting done was getting figured out on the fly. And so uh, it was crazy to me as a 20, you know, three year old dude, uh, you know, not, not too far out of school that, you know, you're a veteran after six months of experience. Or something. <laughs> it's so, a nice position to be in. It was, it was. So, uh, you know, the, the best part of that is that this particular company I worked for, uh, it was very much kind of a sink or swim, you know, uh, and so they throw a lot of responsibility at you. And if you could handle it, they throw more at you and so on and so forth. So definitely uh, re really fortunate to start, you know, my professional career in a crucible like that, that forces you to, you know, uh, you know, accelerate your, your learning and your observation of what works well, what doesn't work well. And so it was, it was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, so as the years went by, you know, I started taking more and more responsibility at this particular company. And uh, then uh, the early 2000s, um, the whole sector, the energy, what they called that group, the energy merchant companies collapsed uh, in the wake of Enron. And, uh, and a lot of the, a lot of the, the investing community pulled its, you know, funding and it was very an out of favor industry. Yeah. And uh, I had, you know, at the time immediately prior to that, I've been running, in a portion of our power trading business and we had our you know generation portfolio and all the logistics about bringing fuel to our power plants and how do you sell the output and and i was talking to my buddy that you know worked right alongside me i had about half the country he had about the other half of the country and we said you know what what, what are all the guys that you know hired companies like us to go manage all this stuff for them what are they going to do because like all the all the guys that they used to be able to hire to manage these things they're all out of the business hmm. and we know that these guys need the help yeah so completely naively we decide well we do that every day for a living let's just go form our own company and do that you know for, how to do that <laughs> let's do it let's do it so so we uh you know quit our jobs and it took about uh you know, 45 seconds to have a little bit of seller's remorse. Like, oh, wait, sure. wait, 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 what? <laughs> what did I just do? Yeah, right. So 
my uh, we actually started that uh, that other company in my garage, and I would walk out and I would watch my son, uh, my oldest son. Uh, he was it was tiny, so he was maybe you know uh, 10, 12 months old. He would like watch us, you know, and I'd be like, man, that's that's the motivation <laughs> to succeed, right? So, yeah, absolutely. So we found out pretty quickly that um, you know. Uh, running a new business when you're putting your own shingle up as opposed to having all the heft and resources of having a fortune 500 company behind you this is a little bit of a difference big time big <laughs> yeah time. It, even though you know all, you know how to do it all uh you really have to find someone that's willing to take a chance um yep. to, to let them you know turn the keys over and you know most of these investments are hundreds of millions of dollars worth of invested capital if not billions so um, you know, we were we were a little bit naive, but fortunately, we found a couple of anchor customers at the very beginning, and and kind of took that business off like a rocket ship. That's awesome. So, wait, Justin, before we, before we move forward, a couple of questions. Number one, I'm, I'm I'm happy that you called out this point of just like number one, the risk, right? The jumping off the cliff, because I think it's important to call out, you know, for folks that are, you know, aspiring startup founders, uh, business executives, even just emerging leaders, even just guys and gals that are literally going to be coming up the rank and they're going to be taking over a team, taking over a department. You just, you just call that one of the biggest things that almost every single one of us had to do at some point. And that's take a huge risk, whether it's right. saying goodbye to your big, your big comfy energy paycheck, right. Which I'm sure you and your friend <laughs> did. Um, but then the other thing too, man, is like, you gotta, you, 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 you just called out this piece that I can absolutely um, drive with, which is like, when you go from running these other uh, businesses or or, or 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 huge teams and departments, you got all these resources, you got a ton of other people's money to be able to play with, to make decisions, to delegate, to figure stuff out. Frankly, that's after number one, just like anything, you get really good at that. You get comfortable with that. You figure it out. You start cutting corners. You get you kind of look like an all star, knowing like you've done it for for many years. But you're right. When you go back to building your own shop and doing your own thing with your own team, with your own customer portfolio. Boy, it's a different ball game, my friend. It feels it feels like you go from being in Yankee Stadium right back down to the farm leagues, and it can be it can be daunting, man. It can be scary, but I think there's another part of it that's super exciting, and then it it gives you like this. Um, it's like a kindling for like really getting getting something raging and getting a bigger fire raging. So I'm glad that you called that out, man, because I think it's something that everybody kind of has to. You have to figure out your own jump off the cliff moment to really kind of get a big splash, you know. Yeah, and I think that's 100% right. And I think for myself, what I realized, and it was always there, uh, but I didn't really have my thumb on what it was, but I have this overriding fear of failure. And so the the positive news out of that whole uh, process is once you're on your own, you know, you need to have your own driving force uh, that, that pushes you forward to, you know, there's only so much you can do. Uh, yeah. You can you can you can work 25 hours in a day yep. and it still doesn't mean that you're going to be successful. But that fear of failure, that motivator, like I remember talking to my partner at the time, he's like, hey, uh, so what, what do you want to like get together? I think we did this on a Monday. It's like you want to get together on Thursday. I'm like, no, bro, you're coming here tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> you're coming here tonight. Like we got to get going on this. Yeah, right. So it's just that it's that sense of urgency and that that push that uh, you know. Again, thank goodness. I think for those of us that do this, that um, you know, there's there's a little bit of aura and mystique, and maybe it's it's some of that risk appetite that maybe not everybody has, but yep. that also provides the room for those of us that do this. Because if everyone were doing this, it'd be much more difficult to actually. 100%. 
run, run through uh, as an entrepreneur. So yeah, big time, big time. Totally agree. Totally agree. So Justin, I'm sorry, keep going. Keep telling your story in terms of how. Yeah. yeah. So, so that, that was a very, uh, it's interesting because I was with this other company, um, you know, my first business that I was uh, an employee at, you know, by the time it was all said and done, I think our generation business, I think I had like a billion six of gross margin that myself and this other guy were responsible for it. And I think I was all of like 26 at the time. Wow. <laughs> so wow. it's just, it just kept throwing all this stuff at us. So I thought that I learned, I mean, I, I really thought that at that time, well, you know, I know legal, I interface with those guys all the time and regulatory, and I know the environmental stuff and I know the, the generation business. But then when we started our other business, to your point, when you're having to step back and do all of it again, that was a different kind of crucible that I just didn't, I wasn't, uh, I didn't, I wasn't aware that existed. So I probably learned more in the first three or four years of running my own business than I did in the previous eight to 10 years yeah. of operating at a pretty high level, you know, in, in this big uh, Fortune 500 company. So, so we did that. And interestingly, when we got going, you know, because we were kind of uh, singing for our supper at the beginning, you're looking for all these other opportunities uh, that are, that you can, Oh, we can do that. We can do that. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> like yeah. You go in, oh, we're not going to turn away any business. Right. But, you know, we really wanted to focus on managing other people's power plants. Cause that's, you know, we did that all day long. And, and in Texas here, the market had deregulated at the retail level, uh, Jan one of 2002. And so we had this new industry that was starting here with a lot of these small retail electricity providers. And oftentimes what we saw was there were, there were guys that were really good at sales yep. where they had an incumbent customer base selling something else. And then they wanted to get into the electricity space. And oftentimes those guys didn't know anything about electricity or they were not subject matter experts, didn't know how to handle the logistics around it, didn't know how to uh, forecast their demand for electricity. Well, if you think about it, power power plants and power generation and the demand, they're just hand in glove. They, yeah. They're literally opposite sides of the same coin. And because we had this other utility that we managed before, we had a lot of experience in, in, de, in demand management, load forecasting, how to, how to shape, how to make procurement uh, decisions around those fixed demand uh, obligations. So we started providing these services to these small retail electricity providers and it's one of these weird things, like we thought we were going to be more in power generation. Like I'm a wholesale guy. I started on the wholesale side. We traded wholesale. Retail was always, you know, a very, um, you know, magical, you know, unicorns and rainbows. And that's just stuff that I didn't, it didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, right. and I don't get it. And, and, uh, and interestingly, we started dealing with a lot of these retail guys on, you know, their wholesale requirements and how to, how to backstop their businesses. So, as the years went on, we really became um, a lot of the financial backstop for a lot of these smaller players because we understood uh, their business risk a little bit better maybe than they did even uh, and understood the, the capital flows maybe a little bit better than they did. And uh, we had a really interesting experience. Um, the year before Katrina Rita, there was a hurricane that came through the Gulf. It was Ivan. Hmm. And... Uh, it caused some very large uh, price uh, dislocations in natural gas and natural gas was the marginal fuel for power in Texas. And so we had this very large uh, upheaval in the wholesale market that, that cascaded back through to a lot of the retail providers. And then a year later with Katrina, 
And Rita, we, we it actually ended up having a force majeure event at Henry Hub, which is the NYMEX settlement point. So okay. there's just a lot of chaos, a lot of turnover of uh, huge amounts of money lost, huge amounts of money made with these just very large deviations. So we realized that no matter how we protected ourselves contractually with our little our portfolio of, of retailers, that really the only way for us to efficiently financially manage that business was to, to roll it all up. So so we actually got uh, pretty big into the retail electricity business as a direct owner um, of, of a number of these different brands. And so that was that was the beginning of my eye-opening experience on really getting some insight in the way these the retail business works, at least in the electricity side here and some of the deregulated markets within the U.S. And that kind of set the stage for what we ultimately did as Energy Ogre here, because there's there were a lot of things that I saw that were happening in that in that industry as the on the retail electricity side um, that were you know not they're not horrible things. It's just yep. uh, there's a race to the bottom when you're in an ultra competitive environment. If one person does something silly, almost everybody has to do something silly because there's this very large gulf of uh, subject matter expertise or real knowledge base on the consuming public side. Sure. So, Yep. So there would be a lot of these weird offers that would be out there that were actually not good offers for most people, um, but uh, they they were they would advertise a certain way, but the effective rate would be something different. And so right. even if you didn't want to go down that rabbit hole, if all your competitors are doing it, uh, you're going to not be able to add any new customers by not engaging in the same behavior. So. We, we, we really saw that as being a big problem. We decided that we wanted to change the way this is all done. After I sold those businesses to somebody else and really got focused on building Energy Ogre. That's awesome. Well, so a couple of things, Justin. I think um, it's really cool when you hear a story where somebody kind of, they came up they came up in the space. So they, they, they got to spend literally years and then eventually decades kind of honing their craft in a specific space. So you're understanding and comprehension of customer needs, consumer needs, customer expectations, um, and then delivery expectations, partner expectations, fulfillment. There's a huge advantage knowing all of those different intricacies before kind of saying, okay, that's, that's a business that I'm going to go spend the next, you know, the next X number of years building and growing and scaling. And uh, so it's, so it's, it sounds like you found like a business that number one, you had a tremendous amount of experience in number two, it sounds like you, you enjoyed this space. This The energy space is a big complex world and you got a lot of different things going on. It literally drives the world like, right. It literally. And, and then the other piece to it is it is another super interesting market, simple, similar to that of some of our financial markets. Um, a lot of, a lot of folks probably don't think about how common it is for the back and forth exchange of all of these different energy sources. They all have a price, they all have a market value, right? They're all, there's always buyers and sellers on both sides. And you guys kind of mastered that world. So let's jump into the first pillar of, uh, of team. Talk about the team that you've been able to build over at Energy Ogre. I'd love to hear, uh, get a sense for sort of the way that you've built some of the teams and the departments or some of the different roles that you've put together to be able to continue to push the space uh, forward into the future. Sure. Well, I can tell you one of the one of the interesting challenges slash opportunities for uh, us getting this business up and running is, you know, we started this space. So the type of uh, what we do is we uh, basically 
step in on behalf of a customer as their agent. So it's it's a we're we're trying to manage our customers' houses like we would manage our own houses. And so this this whole notion of somebody that stepped in with the fiduciary type uh, obligation to the actual consumer, yep. that whole thing didn't exist in this space. That whole business model uh, was foreign to the, the competitive market here in Texas at the time we did this. So what's, what's kind of interesting and challenging is uh, we have to have folks that are on the team that understand the the environment that we're working within. So there has to be a level of subject matter expertise around the way the retail electricity business works or how the wholesale markets work. Or, But the problem is, is the first, uh, there's nobody you can, you know, go out in the industry and lure away, you know? Yeah. And, and so you really, it gets you to a, a, a place where you have to invest your time in developing the personnel um, that that are that are going to be you know on the vanguard for you, and so that's really what happened with us. I was able to take a number of folks that had worked with me in, in the past that that I knew were rock solid individuals that uh, you know had the right kind of uh, work ethic, had the right kind of critical analytical thinking skills. Like to yep. me, that's probably one of the highest determinants of success that I can see uh, with folks that are really helping us at the just say uh, middle to upper level management, that's a key component that, that really has to be there. And then we were able to basically take the, take the hit on you know, bringing folks along, you know, it's starting to create a culture here of, of you know, we are, in the, we are in the developing people business. You yep. know, years ago, I heard this uh, very interesting, I don't know if it was real or it seemed real. It was, I think this lady who was the head of HR at Google or something, and this might've been at the height of the dot-com era or, you know, when that was going, she's like, Hey, we're not in the people development business. We want you to come in with these skills and we don't have time to, to create that. And I thought that is man, the exact opposite yeah. that is, you know, for us, you know, it, I get a tremendous amount of uh, personal satisfaction in, in, in watching someone grow and develop and become more, much more powerful professionally, especially when they're, you know, we have a lot of people here in our middle level management that have kind of come from kind of non-traditional backgrounds. Like if I were, you know, my first company, they were like, Hey, did you, are you an, MBA? do you have an MBA? Did yep. you, um, you know, did you go to this school or that school or whatever? And we actually have the luxury of really focusing our time a little bit more to get to know the individuals as they're coming in the door or as we're going through that interview process. It's not cookie cutter by any by any means. And I think that's a really important thing when you're starting these businesses is you, you really have to, you know, hopefully as a leader or as the, the person in charge, you can you articulate your vision, articulate what those values are. But you, you need to have folks that are bought in that way, that, that they invest themselves in what you're doing. And I think for a lot of people, they're just looking for an opportunity. And we find that, that some of the strongest people that I've worked with are folks that probably would not have had a chance, you know, going through the traditional ways that they they're just they're just solid. They they you know, we were able to find uh, some of those folks by spending a little bit extra time getting to know them in that interview process for getting up and running and and that's been a huge huge windfall for us that's huge justin i i can uh, look i i know that 
for the 10 plus years that we were, I was in New York City working at all these different venture capital backed startup companies, that's the exact same thing that we found in that world because we were in New York. The reality was these folks, some of these the best, the brightest, the hardest working, they go work at a big bank. They could go work at a big Fortune 5, 500. They didn't right. need to be working at some shitty little startup in Midtown. They could right. they could have went and worked, you know, at a, at a big deal place. And what I found, same exact thing that you saw, is like some of the best people, that, some of the best guys and girls I ever got to work with, they came in, I think, probably with... Um, Number one, they knew that they were going to learn a ton. They, they knew that they would be, be given a lot more responsibility working in a startup and they would see a lot more um, different houses within the business, right? And that was true. But then the other piece too was just like, um, I think that like some of these folks that maybe we, we took chances on and it was more about fitting the cultural melt, which is different than the way that a lot of fully formed companies think, right? Like fully yeah. formed mature companies. They do have that cookie cutter approach. They do have that mold that they already, they probably know from a hundred years of success, what will be more successful. But in the, in the startup plan that, that I saw it, like, man, you would just see these folks come in with wildly different experiences, right? I'm, I'm talking like no experience in the product or service that we were selling whatsoever, but they would come with a totally different point of view on, on the customer, on the product, on the market, on just which value drivers really made the most sense. We're going to have the biggest bang for your buck. And I think looking back on it, you, you, what you're making me think about is like, that's maybe why some of these, these startup teams, lots of them do that, right? They have very different types of eclectic groups of folks that come together in it. But also I, it, it makes me wonder if that's one of the reasons why they're able to make some of these companies goes from $0 revenue to $100 million revenue in less than five years, which is, you and I both know is like, that's ridiculous. But right. it's, it's because like, you have a, a unique um, complementary team of different types of folks that come together to make a really, really big, powerful team and make a big story really, really quick. Yeah, especially when you have folks that are coming onto those teams that they, it's one thing if you come into a large organization where, where you know, you're going to make your suggestion and then it goes into the machine and, you know, it, it's got that whole business has a lot of momentum associated with it. And so yep. the individual contribution is, you know, it's important, but it's not, uh, it's not the, uh, an overall driver, but in these smaller businesses, the correlation of, you know, someone's ideas or someone's efforts, whatever, there's a direct correlation on success. Yep. The individual has a huge amount of impact and it's just, it's just a different ball game entirely. Yep. And so I think you have folks that really that really allows, you know, for for the people that you have in the team that that enjoy that, it really does help create that culture, you know, yep. and especially when you're smaller and in, in a more established industry, one of your largest strengths is your nimbleness. Big time. Big time. And so, you know, having uh nimbleness and then having folks that that have that drive because they know that their efforts have a direct correlation on what's happening with the business. That's, that can be a very, very powerful combination. To totally agree. You're, you're absolutely right. You get your hands on the steering wheel much earlier. You get yeah. your hands on the gas and the brakes much earlier. It, it's very true. Justin, I'd love to dive into the second six pillar of tools. Can you spend uh, a few minutes talking about in the energy business and, and with energy ogre specifically, how have you guys had to think about technology and are there a handful of tools that have really helped to propel the business forward. And then I imagine also as the team has grown, right? You, you have a, a, a big team growing in, in the Houston area. 
what what types of tools or what type of technology has allowed you and the team to continue to to grow the business, grow the portfolio, um, have a view or a, or a dashboard sense of how you're performing across different areas of sales and ops and all those fun things. Talk sure. about tools for a little bit. Well, you know, at the at the at the core of our business, this is really a technology business. I mean, we 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 it's a technology company that I like to think about as wrapped in a customer service candy coating. You know, make it easier for our <laughs> like customers that. to digest. I like that. That's the first time I've ever heard it like that, Justin. I like that. <laughs> you know, the idea there is to is to do a bunch of these complicated calculations and a lot of these other analytic processes behind the scenes. Um, but not over, I mean, if we were just to deliver up the raw data back to our customers, it's overwhelming with what they're getting today. You know, for example, there's, I think of upwards of about 140 certified retail electricity providers in the Texas competitive market. Of those, maybe 30 or 40 are active in the market at any given okay. day. But we, we, we maintain an inventory of, you know, somewhere between two and 4,000 active rate plans uh, that are, that are, available at any given moment. So there are a lot of options and each one of these customers, they consume electricity with a unique profile, which means that there's a unique set of analysis that has to happen for an optimized uh, provider or an optimized plan uh, to, to lower their cost or to really focus on uh, cost minimization for that particular load. So, so for us, you can't do, I mean, you can do it manually till you have maybe a hundred people. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then, then it gets really difficult. So, so we knew that all along. So we, we were trying to uh, always look at what are the emergent technologies and how do we incorporate those in what we're doing? Um, whether that's, you know, what, what are the things, you know, way back when we used to use a lot of neural network uh, types of um, models and, and setups for load forecasting, that was a pretty common thing, but well, how do we, how do we start to go through, um, and use some of these automations and some of these machine learning opportunities to, to take a lot of the repetitive things out of the hands of the human beings and put them on machines and allow the human beings to do what they're really good at, which yep. is really servicing the customers and right. to look for the exceptions. And so for us, you know, when we first started doing this, um, there's a couple of game changers. Uh, in my previous business, we had a dedicated um, uh rack space over at a uh, disaster recovery center and uh, I think you know buying servers buying these blade servers and just the cost to store data yeah. and our ability to do that the cost of infrastructure was just unbelievably expensive and I think when we started doing this at Energy Ogre uh, you know AWS or other types of cloud computational uh, cloud data storage uh, services made this feasible yeah. Um, yep. Because we just, it would not have been cost effective for our customers if I had to recover those costs otherwise. So very large game changer of taking advantage of some of these emergent technologies and then building some of these things, you know, the code base that we're able to get into, um, you know, as, as those, those tools have improved over time. Um, you know, we've been doing this pretty much full force since 2015. So seven years is a long time, six Definitely. years. Uh, is really a long time in the emergence of, of some of these other uh, tools that we can put in there. And so we, we're constantly trying to look at what's what's coming, how does that blend into either uh, getting us to uh, more precision and more accuracy, more repeatability associated with what we're trying to accomplish? How does that allow us to increase the, uh, the universe of services that we're adding? 
you know, yeah. to or providing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, how does that how does that make it easier for me to take the human beings? What what pieces of this can I automate um, by using these emergent technologies so that I can get my people that are here interfacing with our customers and answering their questions as opposed to them doing a bunch of you know manual calculations or a bunch of repetitive work behind the scenes. So that's that's kind of how we've done that at the highest level. And I think us, like everybody else, over the course of the last year, um, really fortunate that um, you know it's much easier for us to do uh, our business on a remote basis today than it was you know two years ago. Had we had you know pandemic and and a lot of our folks working remotely. I think about this in 2018, as opposed to dealing with this in 2020, would have been a completely different story. So we basically have seamless operations. Like today, for example, um, we don't have a single person in the office besides myself. <laughs> and so nothing, it doesn't skip a beat. And yeah, right. so it's, um, you know, that, that's become a critical component of, of, of our business, as well as, you know, I'm sure countless thousands of others across the country. Big time. And it's, it's a couple of things. Number one, not only is it um, just, 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 just incredible that you can continue to do the exact same type of work that you were doing pre pandemic without missing a beat. And let's call, and I think Justin, you and I were talking about this last week, but there there's kind of like two camps. There's like one, one, one camp where there were some businesses that were just set up and they were ready to go. And when it all went down, it was kind of like, all right, everyone's got internet at home, right? Yeah, we got internet at home. Okay, let's just keep doing what we're doing. And then there was another group of folks that like, it was a big deal. They weren't set up for remote workforce management. They didn't have anything up in the cloud to be able to do all of these different team or department-based shares or customer-based shares for that matter. Um, and then lastly, just the effort or or, or, or the, um, the difference in remote work versus physical work it took them a while, right? It's like anything, you got to practice. You got to get up to bat a bunch of times before you start ripping the ball. And, and um, it's, it's awesome that you guys were set up and ready to go. I, 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 it makes me wonder, and I want to jump into the third pillar of process. Did you, did the energy ogre team already have um, a, a living playbook or a set of processes, or was there already SOPs in place that also on top of the technology and on top of the tools, did they have, um, had you and the team already spent a lot of time building out those processes so that even though you flip from a physical to a remote world, it was just a matter of picking up the playbook and, and running the playbook in a remote fashion. Can you spend a couple of minutes talking about the way that you and the team have thought about process? Sure. So this, I think, goes back to the couple of folks here that are in a leadership position, my, my CTO, myself, and my head of ops, uh, automated operations at least, they were with me in some of the previous uh, businesses that we've been involved with. And when you're running power generation, power generation's uh, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, no interruption type situation. So uh, that's you know, the stakes aren't quite as high as what we're doing here, but that's part of that mindset that we always had. And because we're in Houston, we've always had to contend with uh, some kind of a disaster recovery or disaster preparedness around hurricane interruptions yeah, to the business. Sure. And so we've always had that within our playbook because, you know, these guys were with me before and we learned our lessons the hard way. One of my companies, we like literally moved everything. We're running power plants and we had to move everything to Dallas uh, when Katrina came through here. 
And we were running, I think, uh, our business out of uh, two hotel rooms at the uh, DFW Hyatt. <laughs> and it was super painful. We didn't, you know, so we, uh, there's still a lot of scar tissue about that. Yeah, so right. that was something that, that we built. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> definitely paid. I like to think about it as we paid a lot of tuition to learn yeah. that lesson. Yep. And yep. I try not to, I, whenever I can, I try to avoid paying the same tuition twice. I like that. <laughs> uh, so um, sometimes people are slow learners and, you know, my wife would tell you that I might be a slow learner at times, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that was part of the, uh, that's always been something that's been important to us. Now, obviously having a plan and then executing it are two totally different things. You know, we, we deal with the things I'm sure everybody else dealt with early on, which was, okay, do all of our employees, do they actually have the type of inter internet connections in their homes uh, to run voice over IP? Right. You know, the, do they have those kinds of bandwidths? Um, okay, well, what do we need to do? How do we set something in place? How do we subsidize that for them? How do we make sure that they have the ability? Do we have the appropriate setups? You know, um, yeah. do we need to replicate their desktop setup in the office remotely? Well, you know, some folks just don't have that much space in their house. So right. How, right. how do we accommodate for that? So, so there was definitely some learnings associated with that. And I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you that, you know, we hit it perfect. Um, <clears throat> but I think, you know, we, we were able to, to push forward and, and, and really able to keep that. There's a couple of downsides there, obviously, I think that everyone's grappling with. And, you know, a big part of my thought process as it relates to the consumer um, you know, customer service and, and, and th those aspects of the business as being the most important aspects of our business. When, when folks are remote and they're not able to interact quite as much a lot of the camaraderie and team culture and those kinds of things, they, they can stagnate. Especially, it's, it's especially difficult if we're onboarding new employees that don't have any experience. They don't, they don't know uh, really well. They don't have a personal relationship with their coworkers by sitting and talking with them in the break room or, you know, us bringing in lunch and them, you know, sharing some kind of an interaction around those things. You're getting to know each other. Yeah. And so that's, that's, that was a big challenge for us as well. And so we've really tried hard to maintain. That's one of the things I loved about us being able to get most of our folks back in here to rekindle some of those kinds sure. of things as well. Yeah. And you're right. You know, uh, depending on who you talk to, it's funny. The world just seems, seems split in, 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 into two camps in many different types of ways this day and age. But the other thing too, is you really do have like half, I would say half the working population. They love work because of what you just said, Justin. It's more about like, yeah man, get me out of that house for eight right. to 10 hours. Let me, uh, like people like doing their lunch, their lunch with their friends from work. People like doing their cocktails after work at the cool place that's right around the, right around the place from the office. Like totally, totally get that. And then I think that there's this other camp of folks that realizes, wait a minute, I can be hyper-focused. I can get my job done in probably under eight hours, frankly, because I'm not doing the BS that right. I, although it's important and it's, it, this is life people. So we should, we have to enjoy, like you're working most of the time. You better enjoy work or you got to find the things that you enjoy in work. But like, um, it's, it, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's very much, we're now in the space where you're seeing the, the world slowly coming back, right? Slowly, slowly, but surely, but this is going to be an interesting lingering effect, which is just now that you have these two different camps, people that can't wait to get back. And then people that are like, man, I'm cool right here in my home office. I'm doing, doing the best work I've ever done, getting it, getting it done more efficiently, et cetera. It's, we're going to have to find that new middle. There's going to have to be yeah. a new middle. I know um, a lot of the folks that come on the podcast talk about, there's a ton of leadership teams and a ton of 
um, a, a ton of um, leadership retreats that have started. I know a lot of people are kind of at least getting started there. I've heard less folks talking about bringing everyone back. Actually, I don't know if I've had anyone on the show in the last, you know, six months that has come out and said, yeah, everyone's everybody coming everybody. back to the office. That has not been said yet. So like, we're still in this world where most of us are kind of living in the hybrid or the remote type of place. And I think it's going to be interesting for um, customer focused business leaders to think about what that new healthy, normal middle, middle ground is, what that new blend is, and then get really good at sort of continuing to reestablish how culture and team and uh, the team camaraderie and all that fun stuff, like all the fun stuff of work, we can kind of still bring that back into the mix because it's definitely been waning over the last two years, but it's just because we're all stuck in our home offices, man. It is what it is. It's super interesting to me. Like uh, I, I laughed just watching this change of, of, of folks working remotely to begin with. You know, there's a number of people, especially the ones that are interacting with customers every day, super social people. And so being yeah, forced to be isolated great point. Great point. is is just, uh, you can see it. I, I can see it over time with them. It's just, it's not good. It's just no. not consistent with who they are. Yeah. And then on the other hand, I've got my, I have my development teams on the IT side of the house. They're probably and, thrilled. You know, they're excellent. And so for them, they're like <laughs> happy as clams. Yeah. You know, yeah. like every time you're on a, a Zoom or a, a Google Meet or something with them, it looks like they're in a cave. They just look like they're, you know, they're in great shape. But even it's been interesting after a year of all that with with those teams. And and I basically didn't tell anybody they had to come in, but I didn't want to tell them they didn't have to come in. So we tried to, to manage it a certain way and, and folks on their own trickled back. But even my development team, that they're not the most social people or, you know, that's not that wouldn't be the first box, you know, for most of them that they'd want to check off. They're like, no, I, I want to come in. <laughs> and so there, there, there's something that, you know, you definitely want to interact with other people and have fun. And, and, uh, and so that it's been interesting to watch that. Uh, so for us, I think what we're going to try to do is, you know, we have to have people that are in here enough to train and, you know, the, the business is still changing enough that we have to make sure that, that we can have that one-on-one -on -one type of time with folks. But, you know, we've proven that we can be just as productive working remotely as we were in here. But I, I, I've told them all, like, if that means that you can get you a house that's, you know, another 45 minutes away and, you know, you don't have to slog through, maybe you slog through and commuting, you know, seven days a month as opposed to 22 days a month. Totally. Then, yeah. Let's, let's talk about, I'm all about increasing their quality of life as well. Because what I find is, if, if my folks are happy and they know that they're uh, important parts of the team and they know that, you know, we genuinely concern, are concerned about their welfare and their advancement. And I want them to think about this as a career for, especially we have a lot of younger folks that are in here that helps them have good interactions with the customers. Yeah. They're miserable yep. and they don't feel like they're important and they don't feel like they're heard and they don't feel like, um, you know, there's a future for them then, you know, it's just kind of like this becomes a J-O-B and I don't yeah. want that for any of them. I've told them all, you know, if we ever get to a point where you start getting a panic attack at about three o'clock on Sunday afternoon, knowing that you're coming back to the office, we're doing yeah, right. something totally wrong. Like, totally. I don't expect you to be like, you know, jumping out of bed, fully clothed, with, yeah. you know, and whistling on your way to work necessarily, <laughs> but, but it, it should, it should be a, a, a fun and rewarding thing. We'll have, we'll have tough times and we'll have to like, you know, we, we definitely have intermittent things where a bunch of work happens all at once, 
Um, but, you know, generally speaking, I want them to be, you know, happy and, and as much as I possibly can, because I think there's a direct follow on to totally. how our customers, you know, interact with our business. 100% agree with you, Justin. I think that some of the best companies in the world today are focused. CX has just become this huge glaring topic, but companies that are killing it with their employee experiences, their EX, they know that if you have happy uh, employees, you're going to have happy customers. And then, the, and then, and then by the way, as far as feedback goes, some of the best companies in the world today, not only are they excellent at collecting their customer feedback, they're excellent at, at gathering their employee feedback. And that's what yeah. they do with it. Well, Justin Bradshaw, this has been absolutely fantastic. Before we wrap up today's episode, my friend, please make sure you can share. Is there anything else you want to highlight to the CX Nation? Um, and then most importantly, where can folks find out more about you, sir? And where, where can folks find out more about Energy Ogre? Well, no, first of all, I love what you're doing. I think that having a focus on, you know, the customer experience for us, it, it's especially like we're probably the purest form of that business because electricity is one of those things where you're selling literally exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Like there's no difference between any right. of these providers. And so it's the ultimate fungible commodity that's being sold at a retail level. And so this is one of these business areas that um, customer service and customer experience, that is truly the only differentiator. Yeah. Yep. And so I think with what you're doing, and, and especially I'm, I love the fact that I'm hope that entrepreneurs and other people that are thinking about getting involved with doing these things, to me that everyone says it all the time, but having a customer experience focus, having a commitment to having a top, you know, decile, top quartile overall customer service interaction for your industry space is probably the key differentiator in anything that has anything to do with retail. I could argue that that's probably true on the wholesale side as well yeah. uh, with the customers that you're dealing with, but it's especially critical, you know, in any of these retail businesses. So I love the mission of what you're doing and I, and I really appreciate the opportunity. I think this long form, uh, you know, hour long or whatever, whatever it might end up being is enough time to get into the nitty gritty and, big, and maybe- uh, try to try to impart, you know, whatever value that I can to anyone that's in this. But I'd love, I love that that this is your mission and 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 being excited about this. And if folks are here in the uh, in the competitive markets in Texas, or we're, we're focused today, as basically all the large metropolitan areas outside of Austin and San Antonio, um, come visit us at energyogre.com. There's a lot of information about the business. There's we have some free tools on the website to help you get a sense of, okay, am I massively overpaying versus what I should be paying? <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, you know, one of our primary focuses is customer education. And uh, so we have a bunch of tools that, that help people figure those things out. That's awesome. Well, Justin, thank you so much for sharing your story, my friend. It's been an absolute pleasure. And we'll look forward to seeing what you and the team at Energy Ogre do next, my friend. I appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. Awesome. Thanks so much, Justin. Thank you for listening to another episode of the CX Chronicles podcast. We're thrilled to have you as a part of the CX Nation, tuning into customer-focused business leaders from across the world. Be sure to check out the CXC website, and as always, find us on any of your favorite podcast players, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Thanks so much for making this show a reality and being a part of the CX Nation. And as always, folks, remember to make happiness a habit.